0: Hi there, this is Watching, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for black women on the corporate climb. This episode is brought to you by the climb career summit which is powered by Weber Shanwick and fueled by Nike. What is the climb? Well, I am so glad that you asked. The climb is an interactive soft skills career summit that was created with ambitious middle career black women in mind. The theme of the 2022 summit, The Great Reshuffle, redefining the corporate dream. So if you're trying to figure out what the next chapter of your career can look like, you want to be in the building. For more information on The Climb, head to ictlsummit.com. Again, that's ictlsummit.com, and I look forward to seeing you. In this episode, you meet Tara August, Tara is Senior Vice President of Talent Relations and Special Projects for Turner Sports and Bleacher Report, where she oversees the division's marquee roster of on-air announcers across both digital and linear platforms. In this role, she is responsible for the management of some of the biggest names in sports, including Hall of Famers Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, Wayne Gretzky, and Pedro Martinez, across Turner Sports properties, which include the NBA, NHL, NCAA, and MLB on a day-to-day basis august facilitates on-air production sales marketing and promotional activities with a special emphasis on serving as a primary liaison to all sports teams leagues agents and celebrities to facilitate contract negotiations and special guest bookings. She also contributes to the development of special projects for the TNT, TBS, NBA, TV, and Bleacher Report family of platforms such as the official NBA award show, The Dunking, and the All-Star all Styles Show. She also currently oversees the organization's diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts via the People Advisory Council, an internal organization which aims to increase diverse hiring and mobility and creating a diversified industry pipeline of professionals. Previously, Tara served as public relations manager for Turner Sports, where she aided in directing the strategic development and implementation of visibility efforts for the organization's programming, talent, and executives. Prior to joining Turner Sports, August was an account director for Ogilvy Public Relations Worldwide, where she managed extensive sports marketing partnerships designed to promote social marketing causes via sports personalities and organizations. For more than six years, she successfully worked across a multitude of sports leagues to develop award-winning public service announcements, special events, and programs for the agency's public and private clientele. In October 2021, Tara August was named the 2021 DEI CableFax Champion for her diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. Additional recognition includes the Atlanta Business Chronicle 2021 Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Outstanding Voice Award and being named to the Synopsis 2021 Top Woman in Media in 2020 Cable Facts Most Powerful Women's List. Tara August is currently a Southeast trustee for the Boys and Girls Club of America, as well as the VP of Public Relations on the Sports Task Force of the National Association of Black Journalists and a member of the American Cancer Society's Sports Council. She's also a founding member of the San Diego Network of African American Professionals. She earned her Master's of Arts degree in Sports Management from the University of San Francisco and her Bachelor of Arts degree in Comparative Literature with a minor in Communications from San Diego State University. Now, I had such a great time talking to Tara. It's not often um, that I get to speak with someone whose job it is to um, work with high profile people to bring us entertainment, right? As a former sports executive myself, I have a bit of an understanding of what it's like to work on the team side, but to get a sense of how she thinks about her job, how she came into her job, um, and just the, the, the wealth of wisdom that she had as it pertains to being at a company for well over a decade and how you reinvent yourself and reinvent your career time and time again you all hear me talk about making career pivots not necessarily meaning that you need to leave the company that you're with but sometimes it means reimagining what your role within that organization can be so as always grab your i choose the ladder notebook a pen your favorite beverage and get ready to get to work hi tara thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today um I remember when I first met you and how impressed I was with all of the things that you have done. So thank you for saying yes. For sure, I'm happy to be here. It's exciting have a good conversation. Um, so when people see your job and your title, um, I'm pretty sure it's intimidating, but they probably have no idea why, right? Like there's not a, an actual understanding of what it is that you do. So if you could, um, in the simplest of terms, explain to us like yeah. what you actually do for a living, that would be awesome. So I oversee all of the on-air
1: sports announcers um, here at our network. So TNT, TBS, NBA TV, it's all the on-camera guys and girls that are announcing games and doing studio shows for NBA, MLB, hockey, soon to be soccer. Um, The simplest way to put it is I hire and fire famous people. (laughs)
0: oh god I know people think that's cool but in my mind I'm like oh man that is a tough job um and and thinking back to like maybe college is this what you thought you'd be doing professionally definitely not
1: Uh, I actually majored in comparative literature in undergrad um and I really came to that because I realized that's what I was good at I was really trying to figure out my major early on and I just thought really good at reading books and then breaking them down and writing long papers and analysis. And this is back in the 1900s where you didn't really worry about getting a job after college. You just kind of got one. Mm-hmm. Um, so I majored in that, so I was good at it. It made me a really good communicator. My mom at the time was saying, you know, are you what do you want to be a teacher?" And I was like, no, I don't know. Kind of found my way into public relations. So mm-hmm. in my late undergrad, I, I did think I was going to go into PR and certainly being an English major, with a communication minor made sense and was making me a you know pretty good writer and pretty good communicator but i never uh, you know ever thought about this kind of job
0: so can you think back to your, your first job like what were you doing how diverse was it how did you get the job
1: yeah. So my first job, I started out as an intern at a PR agency um, during undergrad. So I, I, I expressed interest in it um, and a family member actually kind of got me connected to a PR agency. And when I stepped foot in that office and worked there for a few weeks, I thought, this is terrible. How do these people show up every day and do this? This is not for me. Um, but I kept coming back because it was a paid internship. And the more I came back, the more I started to like it and understand it. Um, I was fortunate enough that they kept me around. I was a pretty good intern. Um, and then I was hired full-time by them. And that's when I really started to hone in on there's so many different types of public relations. You can do technology, healthcare, you know, all kinds of different variations of it. And I honed in on sports PR was really what excited
0: me. So then I started to focus on that. So you hone in on sports PR, the agency that you were working for at the time, is that something that they, like, was it a large agency where you had options on where you could focus? Um, well, I got drips
1: and drops. We had different types of clientele at the time. And, you know, thinking back on it, it made me a, a great jack of a lot of trades, not all trades. Um, so there was only a little bit of sports going on. I liked that the most, um, but I sharpened my skills at all different types of clients. It was a mid-sized agency. Um, There was diversity in that there were quite a few women who worked there, but certainly not diversity in color, um, culture, um, or even experience. It was a little bit um, tailored towards the same type of people um, Mm -hmm. that were kind of the same kind of background or school. They were great. I obviously learned a lot, um, but certainly didn't see people of color um, in that uh, industry early on in my career.
0: So then what made you feel like, yeah, I want to stay because I I think some of the feedback that we get from folks is like, well, if I'm in a company and I don't see a black woman in senior leadership, that means it's not possible for me. So I don't want to be there. Whereas you didn't see a lot of people who look like you and you're like, but I like this part of this work. So like, what was it about that that made you feel like I can I can do this? I truly felt supported. So while I didn't see anyone like me,
1: I, I felt supported. I certainly, um, like I said, I started as an intern, I grew a lot, I worked hard. This wasn't just anybody doing it for me, but I worked hard and I was rewarded and they gave me opportunity. They cared that I liked sports. They said, well, let's try to find a way for you to do more of that. Um, and then certainly seeing dynamic women in that space made a difference for me um, because they, I saw them blaze a trail and I thought, well, If you work hard, there is um, a ladder uh, to success. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, also the day and age that it was, I was used to being the only person of color, right? Mm -hmm. So, whereas I certainly would have been more comfortable if I would have had someone who looked exactly like me sitting next to me or sitting in the office um, Mm -hmm. that I was sitting outside of. Um, But at the time, that was very commonplace. So, that's where I started to learn how. To adapt um and while feeling like you know i may be the only person um i can certainly make a name for myself because i did start to feel like well this is interesting um i don't see anybody like me so i think i'm standing out i think people mm-hmm. are paying attention to me um and i've been saying for a long time now in my during my career it's like well if you're going to be a unicorn put on a show so if they're if you're going to have their attention if you're going to be the only one in the room put on a show and putting on that show means be as dynamic as you can be prepared, ask questions, be present, you know, that's the benefit of standing out. You have their attention. People who, you know, maybe look similarly, don't, you know, they've got to work harder to stand out amongst a crowd that, you know, where they're, um, just one of many, if you're going to be one of one, well then do something with it.
0: That might be my favorite quote of all time. (laughs) If you're going to be a unicorn, put on a show, because I think that there's a, if you're first generation in the corporate space, right, it's you don't want people looking at you, you don't want the attention because you think something bad's going to happen or you think that, you know, you might get targeted or singled out, but your perspective is like, no, if I'm going to be the only one here, I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm noticed and that I am, you know, giving the opportunity and doing the best that I can, which is such a great way to look at it. A hundred percent.
1: Every opportunity is an opportunity to brand yourself. And I'm sure you've experienced this as well, where people are paying attention to you where you don't maybe realize it, and then they'll come up to you and say, Oh, I liked your idea in the meeting, or like, oh, I was just speaking my mind, or I was just mm-hmm. throwing things out, or someone might come up to you later for an opportunity because someone else spoke well of you. Like, you don't realize how much people are watching and paying attention to just whatever energy you're presenting, whatever brand you're presenting to say, that person's on it. They are mm-hmm. creative, they have questions, they're energetic, you know, or the, the opposite of they don't know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so to take that opportunity. You know, I also work in sports, so oftentimes maybe maybe there's other people of color in the room, which is great, but I might be the only woman. And mm-hmm. again, back when I was really starting out in sports, there weren't a lot of women in the room, and so I really had this projection of wanting to make sure that I was prepared as I could be. I'm not going to know everything about sports, right? This, sports is vast. I don't I don't know who won the Stanley Cup in 1976. I just don't. Uh, but there's other things that I can read up on and follow along. So I was going into meetings a lot, making sure. I was well prepared, researched some things, had some ideas, jotted out some notes, had questions, was super honest about what I didn't know, and that was branding myself along the way. Sure, even if it's not your way to raise your hand, make sure if someone calls on you or asks you a question, you are prepared, you're putting on
0: the best show that you can. But what if you are prepared, but you're just scared, right? So I hear a lot where people walk into rooms and they're intimidated, right? Whether it's because they're the only one or whether it's because they feel like they didn't go to the right school or they don't have the right, whatever the thing that may be that's causing them to question their place in the room. Like, what would you say to that young woman?
1: Yeah, so you you, you have to find where your confidence is. And I understand that not everybody's a confident speaker. Not everyone is a a confident leader. Not everyone is a confident, you know, coworker. Find where your confidence is. What are you good at? What do you know? And even find confidence in the things that you don't know. I've always been very impressed with people who join our organization or join a group that I'm in or join a board that I'm on and who raise their hand and say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm not familiar with that. Do you mind walking me? There is no shame in that. And it could be something super simple. And you could say, my bad, I don't know what that acronym stands for. Do you mind breaking it down? It actually makes me feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not a good leader. I should have explained that in advance. Hmm. To find where you can find these pockets of confidence, even if it's asking a question. That's not a lack of confidence. People will be impressed with you because guess what? We've all heard it before. Probably other people in the room want to know too. And if you have the confidence to raise your hand and put yourself out there, if you are not comfortable with being the center of attention or presenting, think about the things that you do have to offer. So maybe you come out of a meeting and you send someone an email and say, I was really impressed, or I actually have some additional notes. Can I one-on-one with you? Here are my thoughts on what, what I didn't say during the meeting find those pockets because you're doing yourself a disservice. If you have all this knowledge, all of this know-how, a desire to climb and to grow and you're doing nothing with it. So really find where that confidence lies um, and, and it will pay off. I It's one of the things that i learn and appreciate the most in my career is the level of confidence that I have now that I had to learn and grow along the way. It's a difference maker. I can do things much more differently because I've got just that confidence that I that I didn't have, you know, a decade ago.
0: And so when I hear you say that in my mind, I hear um, you asking people to take off the superwoman cape, right? Like you don't have to know everything. You don't, but that is scary for a lot of folks because like the branding, it's like, you're a strong Black woman, you are you can do all these things. And so I think it's an identity thing where it's, well, I'm supposed to be superwoman, I'm supposed to know all these things, but I actually don't know them. But I'm afraid to verbalize that, you know, maybe I don't know that acronym. I don't want you to think that I'm stupid. Or maybe I don't, you know, I don't want you to think that I'm not cultured or whatever the thing is. Like, how do we get past that? Yeah.
1: I mean, you, you have to take that weight off your shoulders because I don't think anyone is expecting you to know all things. If you think about your own coworkers or your employees or your friends, are you looking at them and saying, you should know everything? You're No, but I would like you to know something if you're going to specialize in what you do, be good at it. Think about how you can learn and grow. And, you know, like I said, I, I would do research before meetings, even just the 30 minutes right before. I mean, jot down notes, come in prepared. Those are the ways that you can you know, pick up little things. And I say this sometimes like the universe will bring things to you if you pay attention, right? So like there's a magazine that's laying around, maybe leaf through it because maybe it's there left there for a reason. You'll, it'll spur an idea or give you a bit of knowledge to, that you can put in your back pocket to take with you. You you have to take away the stress that you put on your own self to know all things. I don't think anybody has that expectation of you. It's to know what, you know, the things that, that you can bring to the table and what you're good at. You can also think about, you know, I say this with sports, like, I'm not going to know everything. There's going to be, you know, 10 guys or 10 girls that I work with who are much better at hockey than I am, or much more knowledgeable about NASCAR or baseball or some of these other sports that we cover. But I'll tell you this, I might not know every stat. I can outwork someone. I can go home and watch games and take notes and have ideas and put in a little bit of extra here and there so I can walk in pretty knowledgeable or pretty up to speed on my craft. So you can put in the work if you're dedicated to say, all right, you know, if I'm an engineer or if I'm a doctor or if I'm a lawyer, I may not know everything, but here's what I can do. Put in the extra time that other people are doing to build a relationship or to read things or have a resource or attend a conference where someone else might not be putting in that same energy.
0: Yeah. And I think, so when I first started at the W, when I was still here in Chicago, people would ask like, well, how did you get a job in sports? You don't know a lot about sports. Well, the job that I had didn't require me to know a lot about sports. It required me to know a lot about business, which I did. Right. And so as you're thinking about all the things you don't know, I think part of that too, is actually being honest with yourself is what do you need to know? Right. As opposed to for you, I'm pretty sure you know all the talent, all the people, right? Because that's what you're expected to be the expert on, right? You are able to say, "I think this person would be great." This is why, and so you may not know the hockey winner, and but like you don't have to, right? So take the pressure off to know everything right. about your industry, but you should be like a beast at your actual job. And-
1: yes, and that that's such an important point. Like, don't you know? Focus on what's important to your job. Don't get lost in the sauce of some other things that they'll oh, that's fun, or but like what really. Provides value. It's great to know stats. It's great to know highlights. It's great to know details, logistics, but like, what are they really hiring you for? So Mm -hmm. focus on those big meaty things and not some of the the surface level
0: things that maybe they don't find as much value in. Mm. So talking about surface level, I think social media has created a world where like everyone's job is romanticized. And so when people hear like, Tara works in sports and she's working with famous people. Like there's this sense of like, I want to do that. So what do you wish people knew about like what it actually takes to be successful in a role like yours? Yeah. Well, it it is
1: the best, it's the best job in sports. It might be the best job in the world, but <laughs> I always remind people it's a job, not a hobby, right? So a hobby, you're doing a hobby, you never have a bad day. In a job, there's plenty of times where I'm like, all right, that's it for me. <laughs> I'm broken. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done with this. I've had my limit. I'm, I'm up to here. So there, so there's their struggles. Um, But what it takes is, is a lot of dedication, a lot of hard work. I mean, I didn't, you know, I didn't walk in as a senior vice president. I certainly didn't walk in with this much responsibility. I didn't walk in with a team this large. I had to earn it. And I think to your point about social media, what I find today, especially with young people or even people who have been in the industry a little bit, they want to go ahead and just jump to the top and say, all right, I'm ready to be you know, a huge leader, not, not a mid-range leader, not a leader of just an org, but a huge leader. And I think it's not about necessarily paying your dues. Cause that sounds like you gotta owe the company something. Mm-hmm. It's more about what you learn along the way. I mean, what I've learned here at Turner for 17 years, each layer has taught me something. And every year I think, oh, I got this. Like this year is gonna be just like last year and I figured it out last year. Well, guess what? This year was totally different. And the next year was totally different. And the next year was totally different. So it's about what you learn along those steps. If you're open, if you're listening to the universe and energy and people and what it's all bringing to you, it's all there to teach you something. Mm -hmm. No two days are the same, you know, for me, certainly I'm sure in a lot of jobs. so it's taken, you know, it's taken a lot of hard work, it's taken a lot of creativity, it's taken a lot of patience. We have a lot of fun here, um, but it, it's still a job. I mean, there's late nights and long days and things that are frustrating. Um, but if you have sort of you know, the patience to stick it out, I always remind myself, especially on the bad days, like still do sports, right? We're still just trying to make people have it, entertain them. So if I have a bad day, I gotta go, all right, well, hopefully tomorrow will be better and
0: still working at sports and, and living a dream. Mm. So when I was doing research on you and I saw that, like it said on LinkedIn that you've been there for 17 years, I'm like, oh, this has got to be a typo. There's no way she's been there for <laughs> 17 years, especially now where it's like the norm is two and a half, three years somewhere. And, wow. and I think the younger generation feels pressure to be making constant change and all that. So like 17 years Tara, like what has kept you in the same company and in the same kind of discipline for as long as you have been, because I'm sure once you have a few years under your belt and you know the caliber of work that you've done, you could do anything. So what's kept you put for seven more than 17 years? Yeah. It's been amazing. I when I started
1: here, I never thought I'd be here 17 years either. Um what keeps me here in the big picture, you know, frame of things is that the job has evolved. It's not the same job that I walked into 17 years ago. I actually started in the PR group, and I did that for a few years. I transitioned over to talent. I've been doing talent now about 12 years, and it's been tremendous. The job evolves; it's different year to year. We got different properties. I learn different um, skills and get to sharpen different different skills along the way. And my role has evolved, so I'm. You know, constantly being allowed to grow and to be creative and try different things, and that's that's a manifestation of working for a great place. I understand that that doesn't happen everywhere. Fortunately for me, it has happened here. Some, a lot of it was my pushing and my doing, saying I want more, I want to try more, I have this idea, and then also being patient, waiting for those opportunities to come or or be rewarded. So. Um, That's what keeps me here, because I don't think I could just do the same thing every day for 17 years. It's also the culture. We work with really great people. We have, you know, work with kind people, fun people. It is sports. We work long days. Um, but at the end of it, we all like each other enough to go and have a beer or go and have a conversation, and that goes a long way. So you're not just with people for 12 hours at a time or a weekend or a week long business trip with people that you don't want to socialize with. Um, the other thing that I really come to realize in the last few years is recognizing who your allies are, who is looking out for you, who is pulling you in and pulling you up. Um, There's not a lot of Black women in this industry. There there certainly are more now than I've experienced in the past. And we lean on each other. There's peer-to-peer mentorship. There's mentorship with other leaders. certainly admire some women from afar, um, but there have been some non-diverse leaders who have helped me out too. And I had to acknowledge that they gave me a sort. They said, hey, you've got something special. Let us promote you. Let us give you opportunity. Let us spotlight you. And that has been tremendous. And you have to pay attention to who those people are in the room um, who are really helpful and really helping you along the way. That can help you stay in an organization and keep going. And it can also push you out if you don't have anybody who's actively advocating for you and pushing so that your career and your trajectory is changing, whether they look like you or not. Mm. So just be mindful about it. Even if you don't see yourself at the organization, that could be a bit of a, maybe a pink flag or it turns into a red flag. But if there's other people who don't look like you that are truly helping to mentor you, advocate for you, and be allies, that can be is, be valuable as well.
0: Um, So let's talk about stereotypes um, for a second, because I know like there's something that you just said, Um, you said some of the movement in your career has been you pushing for stuff, right? So and saying, I think I'm ready for this or whatever the case may be. Do you ever worry about like stereotypes of you being seen as like too aggressive or too any of those things? And have you, how has that, if it has played in your decision-making when deciding when to push and put your foot on the gas versus like when to relax a bit?
1: Yeah, I think you know, everybody's got to draw the line for themselves. You One, you have to be authentically your own self, right? So if you, you know, uh, or, you know, you have a sense of humor or you don't, or you're cut and dry, like, who are you authentically? And then how can you also be self-aware and leave the room and go, all right, maybe this is rubbing people the wrong way or the right way, or, you know, maybe my employees or my boss likes being pushed or they don't, or they like, you know, what I'm offering. Um, I've ne- I- I would say I never worried about the stereotypes, but I've been mindful of them. I'm mindful of being a woman. I'm mindful of how I present myself being a woman and both a Black woman. I am mindful about how I dress. I am mindful about my tone. I am mindful if I get emotional and what people are going to think about that as a woman, especially in sports. It doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, but I'm mindful of it. So if I, you know, you you get to that, I think most of us have had that frustrating cry where you're like, I'm not crying because I'm sad. I'm not crying because I can't handle it. I'm crying because I am so frustrated that my emotion is right here Mm -hmm. and it's just bubbling out of me. Mm -hmm. And some people, both male and female, know how to handle that and some don't. So I might be mindful of like stepping away for a moment to have a moment so that I don't have to worry about anybody's perception of it, how they receive it. Or I might let it go and let it fly and, and, and let that happen. Being mindful of it, I think, you know, helps you traverse what, where your lines are. Mm -hmm. Um, But you also just need to, you know, really think through like, what is your brand been? So if if you're a person who gets emotional in every meeting and cries, well, maybe that's making your brand and then people feel a little wobbly about your leadership style or how you can receive tough feedback or conversations. Or if it happens once in a blue moon, they go, oh my gosh, I've never seen that happen. I hope she's okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It certainly doesn't happen on a regular basis. you know, for us as 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 Black women and Black people, code switching, I think, is is a real thing. I, you know, I'm sure we could debate the merits of it if it's healthy or not. But I, you know, do think okay, I'm not have to pull out my little my sister girl <laughs> voice in this conversation because I'm about to get there in the professional setting. <laughs> but again, I don't go there every meeting. So if I do get hot, I don't worry about somebody, you know, labeling me as an angry Black woman. You can take me there and I can maybe sound a little different than I normally do. Um, but it's really about the brand that you've built overall and only you can decide, you know, how you present yourself.
0: Yeah. Um, and I think that part of that too, is they take you seriously because they're like, oh, Tara doesn't normally snack, and she right. snacks. So but fly light, like just tread lightly for the next 24 I'm hours. Telling you, it's, it's a
1: tool. I, it is a tool because when I get there, they're like, oh my gosh, here's she, oh wow. Okay.
0: Sorry. <laughs> but I, I think that like something that's important that you said that I hope people don't miss is that like you have built a brand that you can stand on. Right. And so this is not Tara year one in business. Like snapping at people or whatever the case may be, right? Like you have had so many deposits in relationships, in receipts of performance, in what you've built and brought to the company that like you kind of have the privilege of being able to to move a little differently than maybe somebody who is more junior would. So this is not to say entry level, even mid-career, like going in there and Making all these crazy demands. Like there is there, you do get more as you get more senior because you've earned it and you've worked. Hundred percent. To be able to get that. Hundred percent. So let you manage people, correct? Correct. Okay. One of the things that people think that they want to do professionally is manage people, until they manage people and realize how hard it is to be a good manager, not just like a manager that's like. That has staff like a manager that's actually developing talent spotting talent spotting you know the different things and so um what do you think you have learned being a people manager
1: this is so simple but listening listening is going to get you far more um equity with people than coming in and telling them like it is even if you disagree and i'm laughing because i think people have like kind of figured out this trick with me so you know even if i've sort of i think i know what's going on with the situation good bad, or otherwise i'll start out the conversation with hey so walk me through this situation i was like walk me through and usually that means i'm about to disagree with you but i'm gonna let you go first and walk <laughs> me through it so that i can come in and be like oh okay so you said this and so so but listening because mm-hmm. it also might inform you because when they do walk you through you might go oh, I didn't know that part. Good thing I didn't just come in and say, you're all the way wrong, or you need to do this or that or make assumptions. So listening to people, everyone wants to be heard. Um, You know, I manage people internally, I am an internal team, and then I also manage the on-camera talent, right? Which are famous athletes and um, on-camera people who've made a career of being on television and they're strike the groups are strikingly different, but they're strikingly the same. Famous people want to be rewarded and acknowledged and heard just like somebody who's working in the marketing department or the accounting department. They want to know what's their growth, what's their opportunity? Are you supporting me? Can I have ideas that you're gonna, you know, make come to fruition? Am I gonna get a raise? So those things are are very similar. Um every employee has something that they want and they want people to recognize in them. So as a leader, you can't always make something happen. Let's say somebody wants a big raise or a big title, or they want to move offices or locations, or they want a big project to own. That can not always happen. But being in tune with what's motivating them and what their desires are can help you hone in on who they are yeah. and why. what really is their motivators and what's their demotivators. And you might say, hey, I don't know that a raise is going to happen in the next, six months or a year, but here's what here's what I can tell you. Here's what we can work on together. Or now that I know that you have that, let's say it's an unreasonable goal. Let's say they say, hey, I wanna make, you know, twice as much money in six months. Okay, well, I don't think that that will happen, but let me tell you what is more reasonable and managing them through expectations. Cause the worst thing you want is someone to have, you know, unreasonable expectations or different expectations of your own. And then you're both blindsided at a point where it's beyond, you know, being able to fix or address
0: and we talk about this all the time. I think that people wait until their performance reviews to make these asks and it's like you should have we should have started talking about this 6 months ago, a year ago so I could have helped you prepare to have the kind of data that is necessary in order for me to be able to advocate for you um when you aren't present. And so let's or talk tell about you if that timeline is reasonable or not. You might say, "Hey, I want to I want to raise by the end of the year." And you go,
1: "Oh, wait, hold up. Budgets are already set. That's not reasonable. Let's reset mm-hmm. and get on the same page about what's reasonable."
0: Um, so what else should they come with? So if let's say I'm working for you and I'm like, I'm about to go talk to her about more money. What kind of data, or if I want to talk to you about a promotion or a title change, whatever I'm asking, what kind of data helps me help you? Yeah.
1: So here, I'll give you, this would be a good trick, right? I hope my staff don't listen to this, but a good trick would be come in asking me questions first, get me talking first. And this is sort of a negotiation tactic, right? Of like, hey, so tell me, what do you look for when people move to the next level for a new title? Tell me, what do you look for? How do you decide when you get more money? What's it based on? Get all those facts. And then either in that same conversation or a later conversation go, okay, you said here, here's how I'm meeting all those things. You said raises happen at the end of the year. Great, it's January. I want to be poised for a raise in December. You said it's based on, you know, profitability of the company. Great. I read in the trades that we're doing extremely well. We just got the, you know, come and have use the words of your manager, your supervisor, to your benefit to craft like why then this should happen. Mm-hmm. Certainly, you want to make a case for yourself. So you want to say here's the things that I've done. And here's the things I'm focused on for the future. So don't always, you know, point to the past. A lot of times a manager could say, Well, great, that's what you were paid for in the past. You you achieved those goals and that that you know matches you up and makes you on par with why you were paid that way. Great. So I achieved those goals. Here's what I'm focused on in the future, which makes me even more valuable. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of your backward facing goals and your frontward facing goals to make a case for why you want to, you know, you want to be more valued and why you should be compensated differently at the company.
0: Mm. And I would add just simply one thing. So if you are talking in January and Tara says you get promoted or this happens in December, in your one-on-ones along the way, make sure you're dropping little things that you're doing, the little milestones that you're hitting so that there's a, it's not always this like hard sell, this hard ask, but if you're going a long time and she says like, you need to have projects that are completed X budget. Every time you do that, just like sprinkle it in your one-on-one, like own your meetings with your managers just a little bit more, Take the initiative and so then you can control the conversation and make sure that what she told you in January, you're displaying the entire year that you heard her and that you're doing the work. And, and two things, keep a list, like keep a file on your email, just save all this, you
1: will forget, right? You don't want to wait until you're doing um, your review and like, oh, wait, didn't I have a project in February? I can't remember. Mm -hmm. save all that stuff, just quick notes, just quick bullets to remind yourself. Oh yeah, I did that one thing and got that call late at midnight and I fixed it. You know, you're going to forget those things by the end of the year. So Mm -hmm. keep track for your own self. So you have notes when you're going to make this case, but as you said too, do check-ins and say, Hey, do you think we're still on pace? Is there anything great? We're three months in. Do you feel like, you know, I'm hitting targets, like get that feedback and be ready for, if they say, no, if they say, well, actually, no, you, know, you haven't had a, a big enough project quite yet to prove success. Okay, got it. So what do I need to do? Is that feasible to happen this year? Mm-hmm. Really listen. To, don't always be prepared just for the, yep, yeah, you're perfect, you're perfect. You're gonna get what you want by the end of the year. You might have to listen to some feedback that says, hey, listen, our budgets have changed or your workload has changed or your work product isn't where I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. How can we course correct? Like be prepared for all of that. Be checking in along the way, don't just hope for the best and hope you're gonna get for, to December and say, all right, we're here, you know, I'm ready for the big payday and then go, oh, well, for the last 12 months, you know, I didn't think that you were exceeding their goals.
0: And then be surprised and then angry and emotional and all those things. That's Um, the worst time to get that news and not in, listen, we're, we're simplifying it, but not all managers
1: are great communicators. You're going to have to push and it's better to push a little bit along the way. And hopefully they'll be honest with you and transparent. If not, if they're shutting you down. And by the time you get to the hard conversation at the end, you need to point to, hey, I tried to get meetings with you along the way and have this conversation. Why weren't you telling me along the way? Because it's not fair to me 12 months later to find out that I'm not achieving what you wanted me to.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree because nobody likes surprises at performance review time. Like to think you're killing it and your marriage is thinking that you are not, and then you get there and it's just like a stare off has to be one of the worst things um, ever, Um So, one of the misconceptions that I have found in the ether is that people think time served is what prepares them for leadership. Well, I've been working for 12 years. I should be a manager. And it's like, eh. so for you, like, what was that switch? Like, how, what needed to change about you mentally to go from individual contributor to now being like a leader who is more um, in charge of like, you know, vision and, and managing and not necessarily being in the weeds?
1: Yeah. So one, I, you know, it wasn't until I became a manager, which is so hard, you shift your mindset, because one, it takes you away from the things that you're good at, usually you get promoted, because you're like, Oh, I'm so good at accounting. And I like balanced all the books and all the budgets, and then they move you up to management, and you're like, wait, I'm doing less of what I was good at. Um, so that's just sort of the irony. So you move away from it, and then you start managing people. It wasn't until I became a manager that I was like, Oh, not everybody works hard. I literally thought everybody walked, walked around working as hard as they could, as much as they could, due diligence, let, let me take on more if you need me. And I was like, oh, there's variations. <laughs> no wonder I stand out because I'm a Virgo and we only know how to like overdo it, for better or for worse. Um, so I started to understand that people were operating differently and they had different motivating factors. And to your earlier question, how was I going to get the best out of them? What did they need from me? couldn't be in a position where I'm like, I will just do it myself. It's easier. It's like giving people opportunity. So that that starts to put you in a different position than somebody who's, you know, in the weeds. Um, It's also about being creative. I mean, there's plenty of times where you're going to be pulled into something where you're uncomfortable, unprepared, feel like you don't know how to do it. And how you manage your way through that is crucial. And everybody that's going to do it differently. Either you're going to ask for help, ask questions, do it yourself and figure it out, or you're going to fail. So if you can traverse these you know, new opportunities. It's okay to be scared. It's okay not to know anything, but you got to figure it out some type of way that starts to put you in a different orbit because not everybody can. So as you go along, you start to pick up these new skills. I I can't say enough about being self-aware too. I mean, every day I'm like, so sick of hearing myself talk like, oh, I need to shut up. I need to let my team talk more. Or why did I do that? Or what was my tone in that email? I could have done that differently. Like take time to Pat yourself on the back and give yourself grace, but also say, all right, let me see it from somebody else's perspective, because I don't have it figured out, I'm not perfect, even if I'm the boss or if I'm, you know, a coworker, whatever it is, everybody can be self-aware and you'll be surprised how that helps build a bridge when you're working on yourself a lot.
0: Mm. how have you tried to become more self-aware i know because we we talk about this a ton of like because i don't want to project my stuff onto my team right so it it became really important to, for me to realize like oh i was triggered not because what they said was wrong it's because it's my stuff but like that's hundreds of thousands of dollars of therapy and so for yeah. you like what are some maybe ways that people who want have a desire to become more self-aware what can they do I mean, the first thing is tell yourself, I need to be more self-aware, right? It's like, okay, let me stop.
1: Even if you can't do it in the moment, right? So sometimes, you know, same years of therapy and I read a lot of books and I work with a lot of people and I got to read people. So that's probably why I'm also like reading myself all the time. But like, if you, then at the end of the day, just think about how did I handle every meeting? How was I when I was talking to my team? How was I when I talked to my boss? How were emails? Eh, Was there one email or was there a phone call where I was? too short or knew it all or I sucked all the air out of the room or Mm. you know just think about it and then say okay I'm going to try to catch myself in the moment next time so if you are a person who during a meeting you're the only one talking everybody's just sitting there nodding okay let me see if I can convince myself that everything I have to say isn't the only thing that needs to be said and sit back and see how that makes people feel Mm -hmm. you know even give my time like hey pass on me I want to Give it over to somebody else. See what they have to say. Let me see what kind of reactions I get. Let me see if I learn more. Let me see if people like that. Like, and it takes time. but you know, bad habits are hard. Take a long time to 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 break and to relearn. Um, But you know, like we said, you get a lot more from listening. And we're all a work in progress. It's one of the best things that you can do as a leader is is, is try to be more self-aware and try to really hone in on what's going to get you know, a positive response from yourself and your own authentic self and the people that you work
0: with. Um, when I started business school, there was a rule. Cause you know, business school, like the personality types are very competitive. And it was, if you are extroverted, once you make a comment, don't make a comment for at least the next three comments. And then if you still feel like you have something to say, then say it and then for the introverted people don't let three classes go by without someone hearing your voice and so in corporate it's the same like if you're quiet don't let three meetings go by without someone hearing like a thought that you have or something constructive and if you're someone who talks all the time like let three more people talk and if you still have a burning desire then you can you can bring in it. it I mean serves served so you really valuable. well really yeah, well. no it's so valuable yeah
1: I learned that too I mean I I talk a lot or know things or have, you know, especially situations I've seen before. So if I'm working with junior staff and I'm thinking, oh, this is how we're gonna I'm like, sit back, let them talk it out, let them figure it out. Let me see if they can get there on their own, or maybe they'll have better ideas, which is often the time if you give people space, they'll mm-hmm. often surprise you or come up with something. So, but yeah, I mean, it takes that self-awareness to, to stop yourself down and say, there's a better, there's a different way to attack this.
0: Uh, and that what you just said, managers who prioritize efficiency—that bit was for you. Let them talk it through. It's okay if they, like you are not optimized for maximum efficiency all the time. Sometimes just giving the time for people to work through things up uh, pays off yeah. a lot in the long run.
1: Can I share with you one thing that I learned? That's, I, I love talking about this because it was such an eye opener for me. I did one of those, you know, corporate 360 reviews, and I had a, um, a coach. And she's so great, she's so smart. And I told her, I think it was in some of my feedback, but I had been hearing it sort of in the halls. People are afraid of you. You know, the interns don't want to come and ask you questions, they're afraid of you. And so and so is afraid of and I'm like, afraid? Af- like what? Why? I'm, not, I'm literally not walking around here yelling at people and firing people and getting mad. And so I asked my coach, I was like, what is this? I'm afraid people are afraid of me. Like I was like, and she knows me, you know, pretty well. And she said, it's speed. It's the speed at which you do things. And I was like, huh? She's like, you speak very quickly. You get in a meeting. Hey, everybody, we're here to talk about whatever. And you rattle through it. What's this? What's that? Okay, we have an hour. We got to get, you walk into the room. You walk right to your desk. You say, hello, hello. And it's the speed. And that's intimidating to people. It builds anxiety because things just have to be on schedule moving so fast. It blew my mind. I was like, I would have never thought of the correlation of those things. I thought she was going to say, well, maybe it's how you word an email or what. And I thought, wow. And she said, so saunter into a meeting, maybe be a minute late, (laughs) maybe just allow some space in a meeting and not have to get through the full agenda. And that's okay. So now I've gone the other way. I'm the biggest time waster in a a meeting. (laughs) but I love it because I'm having fun. And I'm smiling. And I'm laughing. And I'm telling my team, like, Oh, don't worry about it. we'll get to that. And other people are like boiling over. Like, no, we got to get through this. And I'm like, Oh no. Okay. There's a funny sidebar. Remember when Shaq did that thing? Let's talk about that. And it really does add some levity. And I don't know, maybe people are still afraid of me, but like, it really <laughs> takes a lot of the pressure out of just, we're here to work. We got to succeed. She wants things done. She wants answers quickly be on point. It's, oh, Hey, we can have a calm, casual conversation about business and about other things. And, and it really has changed things that I think about it all the time. And I, I still fall back to, you know, being fast and having speed, but when I can gauge and, you know, push myself out of it, I really do see a a world of difference.
0: Full transparency. You just gave me anxiety because I'm the speed queen. I'm just like, "No, no, 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 no. What do you mean? Like, no, we, we, we are here for a reason. We're here to get things done. And like, you can mess around on your own time like but don't waste people's time being late gives me i sent you a, an email because i was going to be two minutes late because that's like that's I'm the same way <laughs> and so oh man so the speed thing dang now i had to talk about this exactly. in therapy. so
1: powerful i mean and, and you'll start to think back in your mind about how you operate personally and professionally right i think we're probably wired the same i am like, like this in my personal life too me too timely, I am, you know, want, I want to get the most value out of things. And, and also because I always feel the pressure of time, like, I don't have a lot of time. So I'm trying to make the Yes. but when it comes to other people, how you make them feel and making them feel like you got all the time in the world, or you know what? We do have really important things to do, but if today you want to share pictures of your grandchildren with me, or want to talk about the weekend, that's okay. We've got 45 seconds of time and I'm not going to bite your head off because I got a budget to manage and I got to get to the business side of it. It's, it's really powerful.
0: And something, and this will be the last question, but leading into that, my partner is like the exact opposite. And I drive him nuts, but but he also drives me nuts, right? Because he's very much a like, be present, be in the moment. There's no need to rush. And I'm like, you don't prioritize anything. Like, what are you doing? We have things to do. And he's always like, relax. And I just don't, oh my God. It's no, hard, I, I, it's I, feel hard.
1: I, I feel you, I feel you. Yeah, I I work with people on both sides of the fence, and believe me, I would like to manage things by the minute, but now I've I've found ways in which I can do it, and it actually feels good, so try it, and I I wonder how he would respond if you gave him, let's say, a weekend or a few nights this week where you're just like, oh, hey, oh yeah, we're supposed to go to that thing, all right, what what time do you want to leave, oh, that's okay, we're ready 15 minutes late, I mean, that would give, I would break out in hives too, but imagine if you go, okay, you need an extra 15 minutes. No He'd probably
0: be like, "Are you dying? Like,
1: is there something wrong? Like what is going on?" He'd probably be smiling like, "Oh my gosh, she's really gonna like let this breathe. Like, that would just be so luxurious to him."
0: I'll report back on what happens. But yes. So the last do. question is like, I I would consider you an ambitious person, right? And I'm. Do you consider yourself ambitious? Yes, so how do you balance ambition versus like life, right? Like having a full life that work doesn't swallow up or ambition doesn't swallow up?
1: Sure, so work has swallowed up a lot of my life for a long time, Um, just being honest and that's the 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 trajectory of my life. And early on, that's how I wanted it to be. I knew that I was dedicating a lot to it and it was rewarding to me. And that was my number one priority. Um, I did hit a point where I was like, wow, I am overloaded, overwhelmed, uninspired. I gotta figure this out. I was lucky enough. I just said, I need to take a sabbatical for a couple of months and go do something else. And I went and built homes um, in Tijuana, Mexico for charity. And I was like, I wanna work with my hands and I wanna sweat it out. And it just sort of changed my mindset. Um, I still came back and did the same thing, you know, the same job, but it just really made me like just take out a sigh and then think about how it's gonna prioritize things. Um, Lisa Border, she was a former WMBA president, she's so great. Um, I heard her speak on a panel one time and someone asked her about work-life balance and she said she's not really sure that there is balance, but there is rhythm and that you can have things that work together and sometimes there's more of this and a little little less of that and a little bit of this and a touch of that, but it all works in rhythm and then maybe it switches and then that thing comes more prevalent and that and so it's a rhythm. So it doesn't always have to be 50/50 50, 50 or 25/25/25. 25, 25, 25, 20, you know, creating this every every bit of it is the same percentage and gets the same energy. But maybe sometimes there's you know more drums in this song than there is snares and there is a flute or than there is piano and then it switches. So that's where I try to go. And now I think my priorities are are different than what they were 10 years ago. And I just try to give myself grace to let it ebb and flow. And when work kicks up, understand, yep. I'm gonna dedicate really a lot of time and a lot of long hours right now. And then I'm gonna let myself pull it back a little bit and re-engage with some other things that are important to me.
0: Hmm. Okay, so lightning round questions. Don't think too much about these. It's just the first thing that comes to your mind. Um, okay. What's one piece of career advice that you wish you had gotten earlier in your career?
1: Um, probably the confidence piece. Build confidence, be confident. It's going to change. It's gonna change everything. Mm-hmm. Um, just you just know, really understanding how to get it, that you decide when you get it. You don't have to wait 10 years um, and how do you use it?
0: Um, what's the lesson that took you the longest to learn but has had the most significant impact on your career?
1: Probably the rhythm piece. I thought to be successful, you gotta give it all and work all the time and be singularly focused. Um, I think now I know that, gosh, no, there there is a rhythm. It can ebb and flow. You can let some things go you don't have to be everywhere and every time 2020 was so hard on all of us but I think maybe what it taught a lot of us is oh I don't have to do everything mm-hmm. be on a plane travel be in all meetings trying to juggle everything it's okay to say no and still be really effective
0: um what's one book that you could read over and over again
1: uh, probably the four agreements right not taking things personally <laughs> like I was
0: the reminders and why and like
1: you apply it personally and, um professionally it's a game changer Mm.
0: if forbes was doing a cover story on your career what would the headline be
1: something about you know (laughs) no it'd probably be uh you know it's a job
0: not a hobby (laughs) and then i go into why it's like so great but it's still not a hobby Um, What's the title or a lyric of a song that best describes your career right now? Oh, uh, um, I mean, it probably, you know,
1: Biggie, it was all a dream. I mean, this is bigger than I could have ever, ever dreamed. Honestly, I mean, I, I wanted to work in sports for a very long time and I thought I had it figured out and I thought I knew what it would be. And I thought I knew where I belonged and this is blowing it out of the water. I couldn't even dream this big.
0: Oh, I love that. And then the last question, um, we know that all decisions about your career are going to be made when you're not in the room. And so what do you hope people are saying about you when you're not in the room?
1: I hope more than anything, they say she's a fun person to work with, right? Like she's fun you want her around I think about those are the kinds of people that I want to work with you know they're smart they're creative but like I just I want that person around I can't imagine being here without them so for better or for worse maybe they gotta learn a little bit more
0: or do this or
1: you know but I, I want them around and I hope that that's what people say say about me
0: love that and with that thank you so much I told you all Tara was going to be amazing but you know that I love to end every single episode with my top three gems and so here we go first one My mouth literally dropped open when she said this. If you are going to be a unicorn, you might as well put on a show. I think oftentimes when we are different or when we're the only, we try to do everything to uh, blend in and fit in as not to draw extra attention to ourselves. But if you are going to be there, you might as well put on a show. And I'm gonna remember that for as long as I am alive because I think it's such great advice. And the second part of that is, uh, the second gem that I got was around being assertive about what you want, right? And and using your voice to advocate for yourself and understanding um the power that you have and not giving that over um, as you decide what is best for you and what is best for your career. And I think the last thing that I learned because Tara has been at her job and with her current company for so long is that there's always an opportunity if you are in the right company to redefine your career, right? If you are a high performer and someone who has great relationships internally, I mean, you work in an environment that values you, you don't necessarily always have to leave. You can find ways to reinvent yourself, reinvigorate your career, and and create a career that you absolutely love. And so hopefully that gives you all some, um, something to think about if you are feeling a little bit stuck is how can you, uh, what is within your power to reinvigorate your career and who do you need to connect with in order to make that happen? As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, you can connect with us on Instagram at I Choose the Ladder, also on LinkedIn at I Choose the Ladder. And until next time, thank you for listening.